It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 212, The Destruction of Jerusalem. For 18 years daily, a heavenly voice resounded in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar, saying, O thou wicked slave, go and destroy the house of thy Lord, for his children hearken not unto him. But Nebuchadnezzar was beset with fears, lest God prepare a fate for him similar to that of his ancestor, Sennacherib. He consulted auguries to ensure himself that he was against Jerusalem would result favorably for him. When he shook up the arrows and questioned whether he was to go to Rome or Alexandria, not one arrow sprang up. But when he questioned about Jerusalem, one sprang up. He sowed seas and set out planets. For Rome or Alexandria, nothing came up. For Jerusalem, everything sprouted and grew. He lighted candles and lanterns. For Rome or Alexandria, they refused to burn. For Jerusalem, they shed their light. He floated vessels on the Euphrates. For Rome or Alexandria, they did not move. For Jerusalem, they swam. Still, the fears of Nebuchadnezzar were not allayed. His determination to attack the holy city ripened only after God himself had shown him how he had bound the hands of the archangel Michael the patron of the Jews behind his back, in order to render him powerless to bring to his wards. So the campaign against Jerusalem was undertaken. As I searched for resources for this episode, as you can tell, we're pulling from lots of extra-biblical material. This excerpt was from the Legends of the Jews. And I haven't pulled from this book in a while, mainly because it's a bunch of legends with little historical support for things, But man, some of this stuff tells a crazy story. We don't know for sure, and surely this isn't true, but how interesting is the legends of the Jews and shows how God was calling Nebuchadnezzar to fulfill his judgment on Jerusalem. And according to the legend, Nebuchadnezzar knew the true power of God. He refused until he had a vision of the archangel Michael bound. Fascinating. Definitely most likely not historical or true, but truly fascinating. So back to the siege of Jerusalem. As the Babylonians erect siege towers and battering rams at the gates of Jerusalem, the people and soldiers of Jerusalem put up a surprisingly strong fight. And by all accounts, they erect counter-siege towers. They pushed back the assaults of Nebuchadnezzar, and they fought with sagacity and zeal, causing the siege to last for months and months. The Babylonians were more successful at starving out the people of Jerusalem than breaking down the walls. The arrows, stones, and darts fired from the siege towers had great effect as well, but it was the incapacitation of the people due to the lack of food and starvation that took the greatest toll until the breach occurred in the walls. All right, so let's remember as the siege goes on, Jeremiah is screaming God's judgment, yet words of hope from the courtyard of the guard. God's heart was being poured out day after day. No one was devoid of the voice of God during the siege. Called until their last breath, one could say. 
Also, Judah's soldiers continue to fight as another agent of death enters the city. A plague or disease ravages the population as well. And historians like to call it a distemper, which spread throughout the city. Here's Josephus' account of the plague and then the siege. However, those that were within bore the siege with courage and alacrity. For they were not discouraged either by the famine or by the pestilent distemper, but were of cheerful minds in the prosecution of the war. Although those miseries within oppressed them also, and they did not suffer themselves to be terrified either by the contrivances of the enemy or by the engines of war, but contrived still different engines to oppose all other without. Till indeed there seemed to be an entire struggle between the Babylonians and the people of Jerusalem which had the greater sagacity and skill. The former party, supposing they should be therefore too hard for the other, for the destruction of the city, the later placed their hopes of deliverance in nothing else but in persevering in such inventions in opposition to the other, as might demonstrate the enemy's engines were useless to them. In this siege they endured for eighteen months until they were destroyed by the famine and by the darts which the enemy threw at them from the towers. Eventually, starvation started to take its effect. The standard story holds true, and surely there was some cannibalism and horrible things, but it's the strength of the soldiers that probably failed as well. Soon after, the food ran out and the walls were broken through. A breach occurred in the walls late in the night, and when the wall was broken through, Zedekiah and the whole army tried to escape, taking advantage of darkness. The access point of the escape was between two walls near the king's garden. Jeremiah 39.6 In the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through and the whole army fled. They left the city at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. One account as Nebuchadnezzar entering the breach of the walls and taking a seat with his generals, taking seats within the walls. And from this place he commanded the army to destroy Jerusalem from the confines of the city itself. The message was pretty clear when Nebuchadnezzar took a seat at the city gate. No one else commanded the city anymore. As the Babylonian soldiers entered the city, they spread out burning and looting and pillaging. Yet orders were given to protect one man. Jeremiah 39.11 Now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had given these orders about Jeremiah through Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard. Take him and look after him. Don't harm him, but do for him whatever he asks. Now Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guard, and other officers of the king of Babylon sent and had Jeremiah taken out of the courtyard of the guard. They turned him over to Gedaliah, son of Ahakim, the son of Shaphan, to take him back to his home, so he remained among his people. As for Zedekiah and the army, the Babylonians discovered their departure and hunted them down, hunted down the remnants of Judah's army, capturing the king near Jericho. 2 Kings 25.3 On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city, there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the king's gate between the two walls by the king's garden. And the Chaldeans were around the city, and they went in the direction of Arabah. And, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all of his army was scattered from him. 
Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. Thus Ezekiel and Jeremiah's prophecies were fulfilled. He was blinded, not allowed to see Babylon, yet taken to Babylon, fulfilling both prophecies almost in riddle-like fashion. The lesson here is never doubt the word of God and use our brains to try to challenge God in his words. The same holds true to those smart atheists out there. When they doubt the entirety of the Bible due to some small contradiction, almost always if they would just study a bit more, they'd find the contradiction reveals a greater truth. Different prophets have different perspectives, yet it's the same scene. The next scene is the systematic destruction of Jerusalem, its temple, the city walls, the city itself. We see the introduction to our story, the captain of the guard, Nebuzaradan, as if he has some vilified character, for he will be the one attributed to as the one who conducts atrocities, the imprisonment of the people, the raising of the city, and the destruction of the temple itself. 2 Kings 25.8 in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down, and all the army of the Chaldeans, who were with the captain of the guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. And the rest of the people who were left in the city, and the deserters who had deserted the king of Babylon, Together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuzaradan, and the captain of the guard carried into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord, and the stands and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. They took away the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the dishes for incense and all the vessels of bronze used in the temple service the fire pans also, and the bowls. What was of gold the captain of the guard took away as gold that was of silver as silver. And as for the two pillars, the ones see in the stands that Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all those vessels was beyond weight. The height of one of the pillars was eighteen cubits, and on it was the capital of bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits, a, a latticework and pomegranates, all of bronze were all around the capital. And the second pillar had the same with the lattice work. And the captain of the guard took Sariah the chief priest and Zephaniah the second priest and the three keepers of the threshold. And from the city he took an officer who had been in command of the men of war and the five men of the king's council who were found in the city and the secretary of the commander of the Lord who mustered the people of the land and sixty men of the people of the land who were found in the city. And Nebuzaradan the captain of the guard took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and the king of Babylon struck them down and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was taken into exile out of its land. Nebuchadnezzar, at an off-site camp, murders the further resistors and leaders of the city. And take note, the Babylonians actually kill the high priest and those below him. 
And now we steer off the historical path with the Legends of the Jews story here, just because it's super interesting. And according to the Legends of the Jews, the high priest was present at the temple when the Babylonians arrived. Here's the account. The high priest, seeing the flame shoot up, that is the temple mount being lit afire, cast the keys of the temple heavenward, saying, Here are the keys of thy house. It seems I am an untrustworthy custodian. And as he turned, he was seized by the enemy and slaughtered in the very place in which he had been wont to offer the daily sacrifice. Dramatic, as always, just as you would expect in the legends of the Jews. And I assume an angel caught those keys and brought them heavenly. If this story was true. Famous last words. Here are the keys of thy house. It seems I am an untrustworthy custodian. So the temple was torn down stone for stone. The palace was burned to the ground. The magnificent cedars only a smoldering ruin. The columns collapsing under the heat. The walls were thrown down stone by stone with great effort. Every house in the city was burnt or torn down. Everything of value was taken or destroyed. The majority of its citizens were killed or marched away as Jeremiah and a few others stumbled about mourning. As we wrap up this season for Message to Kings, consider who your favorite king in Israel was. Who was your top five kings? Who was the worst five kings? We'll kind of share our responses in a few weeks um, from now in a, a podcast special. Email me your feedback to message to kings at gmail.com. We end with this episode covering how this was one of those scenes that lingers and lingers for the book of Lamentations and Obadiah were written around this time. The season and story doesn't take a break. But it lingers in the pit, so no one forgets judgment happens and lessons must be learned. For we have three perspectives of, of this time frame, even after this destruction. Jeremiah, Obadiah, and a Jewish traditional account of the exiles. And before we cover these perspectives or introduce them, there's a horrible coincidence, though there is no coincidences in God. The temple is actually destroyed on the ninth of the Hebrew month of Av, according to the lunar calendar. Over 600 years later, the Romans will take Jerusalem and destroy the second temple, and on the same lunar calendar day of the ninth of Av. The mourning and death toll and scars are upon the Jewish people to this day. The result is their remembrance of this day and their traditions. And here's an article from the Israel National News website. Almost 2,000 years have passed since the Roman Empire destroyed the Second Temple in 70 AD. Or in their story, they say CE. And even more since the Babylonians, as recounted in the Bible, destroyed the First Temple. But the Jews the world over dim the lights in the synagogue once the Sabbath is over, sit on low stools or on the floor, Remove their leather shoes and mournfully recite the book of Lamentations written by the prophet Jeremiah who witnessed the first destruction. 
Some congregations repeat lamentations in the morning and all recite for several hours the many liturgical elegies that bewailed the loss of the temples and other painful tragedies that befell the Jewish people throughout history. Tens of thousands will come to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, an outer supporting wall of the temple compound and the only vestige of its splendor, for our sages taught that the divine presence never left the wall. With police on high alert throughout, all as custom and required, do not greet each other, and on the fast refrain from studying the Torah except for certain selections, sit on low chairs and until noon refrain from bathing, leather footwear, cosmetics, and intimate relations. All this is a culmination of the three weeks of keeping various customs that symbolize mourning, and even more stringent ones during the nine days leading to the fast. It was told that the Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte was walking down a street one night and saw a darkened synagogue lit by several candles and people lamenting while sitting on the floor. Wondering what terrible catastrophe could have befallen them, he asked and was told they were mourning the destruction of their holy temple in Jerusalem. He was sure this was a recent tragedy, and upon hearing that it occurred almost two millennium later, is said to have remarked, a people who mourns their temple for thousands of years will also live to see it rebuilt. If I forget you, Jerusalem, may I forget my right hand. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I ever don't think of you, if I don't raise up Jerusalem above my highest joy. Psalms 137. The 9th of Av is a date remembered by tragedy in Jewish history. On this day, the Jews in the desert wept in fear after hearing the report of the spies, as recounted in Numbers 13 and 14. Bitar, the last fortress to hold out during the Bar Kokhba revolt in 135 AD, fell to the Romans and over 100,000 Jews were slain. A year later, the, the temple area was plowed over, marking the last milestone of national Jewish presence in the Promised Land until the modern era. The cruel expulsion of the Jews of Spain by King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella in 1492 achieved this goal on the same day. World War I erupted in 1914, causing untold suffering to the Jews of Europe and Palestine, setting the stage for World War II and the Holocaust on the 9th of Av as well. Mass deportation of Jews from the Warsaw Ghetto to the Treblinka death camp began in 1942 on the 9th of Av. And I, I wrote this script before, um, and as I read all this, I'm actually quite appalled at the quantity of tragedies that occur on that one day um, to a group of people. Um, yeah, that's pretty intense. Um, it is no wonder that it is mourned in the Jewish culture today. Now we arrive at our three perspectives. Um, the first is the horrors of the day expressed by the mourning of Jeremiah, who stumbles amongst the remains of Jerusalem. His words become the book of Lamentations. Sorrowful mournings of the prophet who the people failed to listen to. Um, in a bit more detail, it, he may not have actually written the book, or maybe he was the one who compiled it, but we'll cover that in a future episode. Many survivors fled to Edom, only to be hunted down by the Edomites and given over to Nebuchadnezzar. 
Curses over the Edomites flood the prophecies of Obadiah. Regarding the exiles taken from Jerusalem, once the walls were torn down, the accounts vary on how many were hauled away into exile at this moment. One of them has 80,000 hauled away in forced march to Babylon. And the accounts really do vary. And some, some say there's an 80,000 person death toll once the walls were breached. Um, another interesting account has um, 80,000 of the survivors hauled away to Babylon only to meet their fate on the waters of Babylon. Mainly because it, it's interesting how the, one of these stories wraps into Psalm 137. And one of these accounts reveals how the Levites sing songs on the temple all through the siege. And this singing really irritated the Babylonians. And it caused them to have an irritation and a struggle throughout the siege while they were down in the, um, basically in the, in the grounds below the walls and the dust. There was this singing coming down from the city. And these Levites were doing their daily singing um, but once the siege is over, Nebuchadnezzar commands these Levites to sing for him now. And they refused, hanging their instruments and harps on the poplar trees on the rivers of Babylon to provoke the king. And he does. He, he's provoked to rage. And the story goes that there's a slaughter of 80,000 along the waters of Babylon. Their song that did come forth was not singing for Nebuchadnezzar but a curse on the Babylonians, yet it was also the remembrance of their city. And this is Psalms 137. Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon we sat and wept, when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for our songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing for us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my hand, right hand, forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.